0: chapter fifty of black oxen by gertrude atherton this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by lynn thompson chapter fifty clavering had tied the boat to a tree in a little inlet far down the lake and they were walking through a wood of spruce trees and balsam there was no leafy curtain here although they could see one swaying on either side through open vistas between the rigid columns of the spruce a trail was hardly necessary for there was no undergrowth and although the trees were set close together they were easily circumnavigated it was some time since they had spoken his face was graver than she had ever seen it and she waited for him to speak she almost could feel those unuttered words beating on the silence of the woods there was nothing else to break that silence but the faint, constant murmur in the treetops, and once, beyond that leafy curtain, the sudden trilling of a solitary bird. Again the tremendousness of this high isolation swept over her. The camp and its gay party might have been on some far distant lake. He put his arm around her firmly. "'I am not going to pretend any further,' he said.' It is too big for that, and you have never been anything but Mary Ogden to me, except perhaps on that night I have practically dismissed from my mind. I called you Mary Ogden to myself until I learned your new name, and I don't think that name has ever come into my thoughts of you. And although you slipped on another skin with it, you were always Mary Ogden underneath. You needed a new name for your new role but like any actress on the stage it had nothing to do with your indestructible personality i say this because i want you to understand that although i cannot play up to your little comedy any longer and go through the forms of wooing you as if you were a girl i shouldn't like you half as well if you were i do not think of you or wish you to think of yourself as anything but mary ogden he paused a moment and she slipped her arm about him and they walked on through the wood i cannot go on with it because these days up here that we can spend almost altogether alone if we will are too sacred to waste on an amusing but futile game do you realize that we do not know each other very well i sometimes wonder if you know me at all from the time i fell in love with you until you promised to marry me I was at one sort of fever pitch, and when I got to work on that play, I was at another. No writer, while exercising an abnormal faculty, is quite sane. His brain is several pitches above normal, and his nerves are like hot, taut wires, that hum like the devil. If this were not the case, he would not be an imaginative writer at all. But he certainly is in no condition to reveal himself to a woman. I have made wild and sporadic love to you, sporadic is the word, for between my work and your friends we have had little time together, and I don't think I have ever taken you in my arms with the feeling that you were the woman I loved, not merely the woman I desired. And I believe that I love you even more than I desire you. You are all that, but so much, so much more.' She had fixed her startled eyes on him, but he did not turn his head. There has always been a lot of talk about the soul. Sentimentalists swallow in the word, and realists deride it. What it really is I do not pretend to know, probably as good a word as any, and certainly a very mellifluous word, for some obscure chemical combination of finer essence than the obvious material part of us, that craves a foretaste of immortality, while we are still mortal. Perhaps we are descended from the gods after all, and unless we listen when they whisper, in the unexplorable part of our being, we find only a miserable substitute for happiness, and love turns to hate. Whatever it is that golden essence demands, I have found it in you and if circumstances had been different i should have known it long ago i know now what you meant that night when you told me you had spent many distracted years looking for what no man could give you and although i doubted at that time i could even guess what your own mysterious essence demanded i know now still vaguely for it is something as far beyond the defining power of words as the faith of the christian it can never be seen nor heard nor expressed but it is there and only once in a lifetime does any one mortal have it to give to another a man may love many times but he is a god-man only once he held her more closely for she was trembling but he continued to walk on guiding her automatically through the trees for his eyes were almost vacant as if their vision had been reversed i have had some hours of utter despair in spite of the double excitement of these past weeks for it has seemed to me that i was no nearer to you than i had been at the beginning there was a sense of unreality about the whole affair at first it seemed to me the most romantic thing that could happen to any man and it was incredible that i had been chosen the hero of such an extraordinary romance "'intensified, if anything, by the fact that it was set in Roaring, New York, "'where you have to talk at the top of your voice to hear yourself think. "'But that passed, in a measure. "'I was beset by the fear—at times, I mean. "'I was not always in a state to look inward. "'That you were slipping away. "'Not that I doubted for a moment you would marry me, "'but that your innermost inscrutable self had withdrawn— and that you accepted what must have appeared to be my own attitude—that we were merely two vital beings who saw in each other a prospect of a superior sort of sensual delight. "'That is not true,' she interrupted him fiercely. "'But you seemed to me to be in that phase when a man can think of nothing else. If I hadn't hoped and believed in you, against all I knew of men, I'd never have gone on with it.' I'm sure that is true. I must have disappointed you horribly. You had felt the bond from the beginning, and I can imagine what you must have dreamed I alone could give you. The trouble was that I didn't realize that I alone was in fault at the time. That boiling pot in my brain was making too much noise. But I can assure you that I have returned to normal, and if I thought I couldn't satisfy you, I'd let you go without a word. "'but you know that I can, don't you?' "'She nodded. "'What is it, I wonder?' he sighed. "'I wish I knew. "'But it is enough to feel. "'You must understand that in spite of the erratic creature "'you have known since you refused to marry me at once, "'and left me with no resource but to let that play boil out, "'I am man first and a writer, incidentally. "'I also have a stronger ambition to be your husband "'than to write plays.' If I don't strangle what talent I have, it is because I must have the money to be independent of newspaper work, otherwise I should have neither peace of mind nor be able to live abroad with you. I know that you cannot be happy here, and I am not a victim to that ancient myth that two people who love each other can be happy anywhere. Environment is half the battle, for the super-civilized at all events. But you shall never have another dose of the writer. I'll write my plays in New York and rush production. The greater part of the year I shall spend with you in Europe, and I cannot think of anything I'd like more. Why, the very night I first saw you, I was longing with all my soul to get out of New York and over to the other side of the world. Why, Mary, you are not crying? You? I never believed you could. I... I did not believe it either. But are you sure? Could you reconcile yourself? You seem so much a part of New York, of this strange high-pitched civilization. If you are not sure, if you are only tired of New York for the moment, I-yes, I will. I'll give it all up and live here. Of course, I love New York itself. Was it not my Mary Ogden home? And there are delightful people everywhere. No doubt my dream of doing great things in Europe was mere vanity do you believe that perhaps not but after all what i tried to do might be so easily frustrated in that cauldron why should i risk personal happiness the most precious and the rarest thing in life for what may be a chimera wasted years and a wasted life why are we made as we are if to coax that hidden spark into a steady flame is not our highest destiny it certainly is our manifest right. Dreams of doing great things in this world are nine-tenths personal vanity. I believe that when we leave this planet, we go to a higher star, where our incompleteness here will be made complete. And perhaps we are spared a term of probation if we make ourselves as complete here as mortal conditions will permit. And possibly, once in a great while, two human beings are permitted to effect that completeness together they were both in an exalted mood the wood was very still its beauty incomparable and they might already have been on another star across that divine balsam scented stillness came the deep imperative notes of a bell clavering twitched his shoulders impatiently let them go on their screaming picnic he said we stay here do you mean that mary yes i meant it we will not go to europe at all except to visit my Dolomites some day when you are writing i'll come up here i don't know that i shall ask that sacrifice of you a part of your brain is asleep now but it is a very active and insistent part when awake in time you might revert and resentment is a fatal canker but let's leave it open it is generally a mistake to settle things offhand. let them alone and they settle themselves very well at all events while we are here i shall not give it another thought the present at least is perfect yes it is perfect he put both arms about her the past was a blank to both their pulsing lips met in the wonder and the ecstasy of the first kiss of youth of profound and perfect and imperishable love they clung together exalted and exulting and for the moment at least they were one End of chapter fifty